life of where you, you can tell some of their closeness. And, and I think about that. I think about it when I think about my stepfather, his, how he, when I was reared and thinking about the old days of the old ways. And then I look back and we're talking this morning about the manifestation of the Redeemer. The manifestation of the Redeemer. Getting close to God and seeing Jesus Christ that he's revealing himself to us in these last days. He's being revealed. During the 48th chapter, the first through the 22nd verse, where we see a manifestation of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, here. We see him in the 16th verse there, where I told you that here's another glimpse of the Trinity in the Old Testament, and people say there's no Trinity or whatever. But we know in the beginning when God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, that that project has been going on the whole time. And as he redeems us, he gives us a clear picture of that work that he's doing in our lives, that he is making us in his image and his likeness. And it's the Trinity that's doing it. God the Father being the head of that family. We see where he says, Come ye near unto me. Hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his Spirit had sent me. Doesn't that speak of three people if he says... And now I hadn't spoken in secret. So it's been Jesus Christ speaking the whole time. He's the spokesman for the Godhead. So in the beginning when he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, what does the Spirit do for us when it redeems us? When When it redeems us, we're being made in Jesus Christ's image and likeness. Because no man at no time had seen God. We know that spirit has no form, even though we metaphorically looked and seen that the spirit descending on him as a dove at the baptism, that was another manifestation, but it was in the New Testament of the Trinity. Because at that time, John baptized him that the spirit descended on him as a dove. There Jesus Christ is standing. There's the spirit descending on him as a dove. Here's God the Father speaking, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's the three persons of the Godhead again. Here is Jesus saying he hadn't spoken in secret. So if we search the Old Testament, as he told the disciples on the road to Amanus, he says, Search the Scriptures, they're the ones that testify of me. Everything in the New Testament, you can find Christ in there. I mean the Old Testament. You find Christ there. Christ is throughout the Old Testament. And that promise began in Genesis, the third chapter of Genesis, when he promised the woman a redeemer. You remember that promise? And that promise wasn't to the Jews. That promise was to mankind, to redeem man. But the Old Testament was an illustration of the God of Israel, a chosen people 
that he had redeemed for himself, that he was a people of his own. So this is just typed and shattered of things to come. That's what the Old Testament was for. It was written for our admonition, the ones on us that this will be falls upon at this time. In the Old Testament, we, where we see where he told Daniel to seal up the book and go his way, but it will be revealed in the last days. We see Revelation is an open book. This is not closed knowledge. So the book of Revelation is the revelation of what? Of Jesus Christ. It's not John's revelation. This is the revelation that Jesus Christ has given to John, which he gives to us all. That's what we're looking for, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And now that Redeemer that was promised in the, to the woman, and we see where he says, now he's going to bruise your heel, but you're going to bruise his head. In other words, ultimate redemption. Ultimate in, in redemption, we'll, we'll talk about it in just a second. But we see where he says in that 16th verse though, the Lord God, and now the Lord God, that's God the Father, and His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had sent me. That's Jesus Christ speaking. Had sent Him. The Son was sent. The Son had always been here. The Son is, from the beginning of the world, He was the Lamb that was slain from the beginning of the world. Jesus Christ, that promised Redeemer. So let's get a focus. If we could get a focus on him and hold and keep that focus, we will have that power to become the sons of God. We'll start being able to walk on the enemy because it releases, the Redeemer releases us from captivity and bondage to the world. We no longer love the world or the things of the world. That's what I say. We've lost focus in people in the church that are more focused on the world than on the things of God and than on in God and living just a medial life and not being the center of attention. That's what social media and all of these other platforms gives us. It gives us attention to ourselves. It's like our birthday and things that focus upon us. It makes us self-centered and not God-centered. Even creation, everything's waiting for the manifestation of who? The sons of God. We go back here. Uh, it says, I'm not going to read that 48th chapter. We've read it a, few, a good many of times in this teaching or whatever. But it's about Jesus Christ choosing by his grace. It, and this is something that's not merited. He redeems a people. God had chosen us. It's a certain number that the Father had given him to be the author and the finisher of their faith. So the average Christian doesn't don't understand that, that you can't walk an aisle and accept Christ and all this except according to the world's liturgy liturgy or uh, uh, procedures or whatever and they had this thing where Billy Graham started this walking the island coming down and accepting Christ or whatever but we see that Jesus says you had not chosen me I've chosen you God had given him a certain number 
that He redeemed out of mankind. See, because without that Redeemer, we ultimately lost because all of us have, uh, all of us has been condemned. So the restoration of fallen mankind is the overarching theme of redemption by grace throughout the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about man's restoration unto that garden, that Adamic state. But it's the second Adam that made us a quickening spirit, a, a spirit, not not with humanity's original sin in it. We wouldn't even have that because the ultimate redemption is when we are delivered up, when Christ delivers up the kingdom to the Father. He's completed us, the church, his people. He, he's done work that without a spot of blemish. And when he turns us over to the Father, we'll rule and reign with him. He'll be prepared. We only, the church is only the first fruits. So that means that we would be ruling and reigning a couple of, a group of people uh, in the millennial reign of that we'll be doing a job as a priesthood, a royal priesthood. So this is a preparatory time. We're being prepared and we, we conform and be transformed from this world to the spiritual world. That's why he calls us out of Babylon. He's bringing us out of captivity. Only those that have ears to hear. That's why in Revelation when he keeps speaking to the church, he said, with to those that has have ears to hear. So here's the world stumbling along and groping in darkness, and Satan has deceived the whole world because David says, We were shaping in iniquity and in sin his parents had begotten him. So we're in that condition before God. And that condition can't change. We are helpless to change that condition. Mankind can't save himself. We need a savior. Someone to redeem us from bondage. I keep telling you about the bondage of the wheel and that we need something. Jesus Christ was that. And and there's a long argument about whether it's perpetuation or whether it's expiation in which he does for us. Because propitiation means he's pleasing an angry God. You've heard uh, this Jonathan Edwards of the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and that this God needed appeasing. Whereas there's a lot of history and, and scholars and a lot of theology written about its expiation. In other words, God expiates the sinner or covers for the sinner and not propitiation because propitiation is pleasing or anger of God that we have to make this sacrifice to God uh, to appease his wrath upon a sinful mankind and that that side of God it says God is angry with the sinner every day all the time. So before we could come to God, we need a covering, this perpetuation, whereas some say it's expiation. In other words, we need to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ to approach God, to come to God. We need to be in Christ. That's why the blood, the Paschal Lamb, where his blood atoned for us. Those that preach and teach and, and, and the scholars that talk about expiation is that, no, this is a loving God that had chosen some 
And Christ willingly laid down His life for these that He loved. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But that's a whole different teaching. And that's why I say we're not even on the surface. When they talk about an iceberg and you just see the tip of an iceberg, but the majority of it is underwater. Well, we only have the tip of the iceberg in this life. Those of us that are in Christ Jesus starts to plumb the depths and we see in Revelation that he gives us manna, he gives us living bread. Those of us that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for righteousness sake and want to know more about Christ, the infinitude of knowing him that you will ever be learning. Those that are hungry from him will be blessed with this knowledge from God because it's only a small percentage of our brain that we use now. Maybe less than 10 or 12%. I was telling my wife I got a chance to see Lucy the other day. And I seen that again. But it so has so much spiritual meaning. And if we could lose that capacity, no computer invented has the capacity of the brain. That brain that God had created in us because in his image and his spirit, and you, you remember she was healing herself in the healing and you're able to read other people's thoughts or whatever. That's why the regen, in the regeneration, our bodies won't degenerate. They won't become corruptible or, or whatever because of what God has made put his image and his likeness in us. That's why it says by his stripes we were healed. So be it unto you according to your faith. Anything is possible to those that have faith in God because nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So if he say rise up and walk, you can rise up and walk. You start overcoming the obstacles in the bondage in this life. Those things that have you bound. Because really in all actuality, doesn't families have us bound? Doesn't being married bind you? And when Paul starts to talk about he that is bound, seek not to be loose. He that is loose, seek not to be bound. But until we can understand God's laws and the unity that's in Christ Jesus, we don't. We couldn't understand the unity of the spirit and thing because man left to himself, the world would be in the condition it's in today. There's a lot of good ideas and thoughts out there, but the problem is it's in the hands of man, and man has fallen, so thus the perversion of everything. Is anything wrong with police officers? Anything wrong with the law? No, Paul said the law is perfect, the law is holy and just, but we see corruptible officers abusing that system and what they do to mankind and how they abuse and authoritarian. So in the new world, in the world to come, in Jesus Christ during that time, you won't have police officers because it will be written on our hearts. Everybody would know the law and obey the law and walk in the laws of God. That's to be who we are. That's the regeneration. That's why it says the whole of creation is waiting for this because 
it was subject, subjected to all of this because of fallen mankind. Kinsman Redeemer, when we talk about Redeemer, Kinsman Redeemer, a Redeemer was one whose responsibility was to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, a danger, a needed help, a restoration. We remember Ruth, the story of Ruth, and that Boaz ended up being her kinsman redeemer. Naomi told him that he was a kinsman redeemer, but Boaz didn't volunteer this for Ruth. He didn't ask to do this. As a matter of fact, when she asked for Boaz to cover her, he says, no, there's a closer kinsman than I am. And he didn't redeem Ruth because he said it would mar his inheritance. None of us can redeem the other because we all have other obligations and everything. He probably had a family and children and everything. And for the do this to Ruth, it would mess up his inheritance. That's part of us being who we are, whatever we're self-centered. It's about self. But then Boaz took on this duty after he rejected it. But this is Jesus Christ who was made like unto us. He was made through a woman. He was begotten so that he would be our brother that we could inherit. And so, but he volunteered. You remember I was telling you about this trinity where God so loved the world that he sent his son. But he said he was laying down his life willingly. So we see this Redeemer that came in here that's speaking in this 48th chapter of Isaiah here that he says, Mine hand also had laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand expanded the heavens. And when I call unto them, they stand up together. And you see him ruling and reigning over creation. All ye assemble yourselves in here which among you had declared these things. The Lord had loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arms shall be on the Chaldeans. I even I have spoken, yea, I have called him, I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. He's talking about Cyrus, the Gentile king that was going to be in righteousness, and that's how Jesus comes in his righteousness. God sends him in his righteousness. Here's this pagan king that's going to lose the children of Israel out of Babylon, but we see only a remnant, only that little tip of the iceberg leaves out of captivity. Leaves Babylon because the Jews had became very prosperous in Babylon and had adopted the ways of Babylon just as we see our children and relatives and people love the world more than they love God, more than they love the church because they hadn't been called. Even of the many that are called, only a few are chosen. So there's a lot in the church, a lot of them Christians that profess religion or whatever, but that don't see these things or understand these things. And to them, he speaks in parables and an understanding where that's why you see so many religions on a tangent. So I'm not saying that we should be like the Amish but the Amish are very close. The Amish has some things. That's why I say I don't condemn anybody anywhere. And we see portions or snippets of the image of God in every faucet, in every country, 
throughout the world because he had scattered his people in the Old Testament. When we see Israel was scattered, those northern ten tribes that were scattered, he scattered throughout the earth and that carried that seed throughout the earth. That was a testimony of, that was symbolic of, that was a metaphorical of just like Babel, the Tower of Babel where God scattered the people when they were developing a unity, the build a tower that reached to heaven to they won't would never be scattered again. But that would have been man centered, that had been self centered. That's why God says, Let us look down and let us go down and confuse their language because they wasn't doing it the way God would want them to do. You have to walk in his statutes, his laws and commandments to establish the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom that's been established and that's what he had planted in the hearts of mankind and those few those few that are chosen and called at this time that he's revealing that to, that's throughout the earth, that's throughout the whole earth. That's why it says Babylon is not geographical. Everywhere in the world is Babylon because Babylon is the world. That's why he calls us, he says, come out of the world. So you can come out of the world right where you at, right in your home, right on your job, right, because you may be alienated to your family because as Ruth, you leave your family, you leave your natural family because they were only a type and a shadow. They were only given that. It won't be any remembrance of them in the life to come. You leave your Moabites, you leave your people and you cling to God's people. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. You don't do like Oprah and stay and die with your people. God calls you out from among them. So that's why he says you must hate your mother, father, sister, brother, because it's not an actual man understood hate. It's just that that perpetuation, that expiation. In other words, if I'm God, like if I'm God, I can't love the world or the things of the world or the people of the world or the wickedness. All your ways, I, I don't see so. But we have to learn to deal with that in a spiritual aspect. That's why redemption is a process that it takes time to be redeemed. Salvation is a process that takes time for this regeneration. It takes time to come alive. It's a quickening. The need of a redeemer lies in the inability of man to raise himself from the temporal spiritual plane from the lower plane to the higher kingdom. In this conception, we're not without analogies in the natural world, and I've been giving you a good bit of analogies where it's impossible to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's impossible for you to free yourself because it for the be a redeemer, you have to have a pure life or whatever. That's why Jesus Christ had to die, I think I talked about that Wednesday night, that he had to die the death of crucifixion because it was an undeserved death. In other words, his life was pure, and it, it's more or less this whole thing is about the life he lived. That's why when we are redeemed, we start to live a, a righteous life, a, a life walking in his righteousness. It's about the life we live in. We must depart from iniquity. We must depart from sinning. We can't continue in sin because it's about the life we live. And he lived a spotless life, a clean life, so that he could lay his life down. He could be that 
sacrificial that passed the lamb from the beginning of the world that he laid down his life and that blood was expediated of perpetuation whichever the two we look at like I said we're not going down that road but his blood was a covering and he was a perfect sacrifice that's why we have to look at the language that's spoken and that's why I'm using those two words perpetuation and expiation because it's like in the book of Job when it says Job was a perfect and upright man that he was blameless that's what the Bible says that's how God sees him because Jesus Christ was revealed unto Job that's why Job had the ability to see things that we some of us don't see during this time and that Job wasn't attached to his children you remember Job as a priest he offered up sacrifices for he says perhaps my children had sinned or whatever so Job's children was Job's children but notice he says you know it hurt me to lose my sons and daughters for to lose all of his children but when he gave him back the things that he lost he only gave him seven sons and three daughters because those children that he lost were still his he wasn't wrapped up into the point where he was like the woman as passionate that she's lost all the material goods and her children now. Job then lost his health and everything, nothing left but the curse God and die. No, struggle was built into Job's life. Tribulation was built into Job's life. And he knows that we, just like we get good at God's hand, we get bad at God's hand. There's things that you don't like about your spouse that you see in your spouse that you don't tell them because for the sake of unity and the love of God, you can't go naming their faults or things, things that they don't see. These are things that we have to learn long-suffering and forbearance. Don't think you're perfect before your spouse or your children or your parents or anybody else. It's just that it's a lot of things we have to live with. We can't tell everybody everything that's on our mind. It would it would create anarchy in the world. So when Job lost all this, she says, curse God and die. Job wouldn't do that. He couldn't do that because he know that he has a redeemer. He said, I know my redeemer liveth in that in my flesh I shall see God. You know, a redeemer is one that is an avenger of the brethren. He's an avenger of the blood. He's, they called him the avenger of blood. The redeemer is charged with the duty. I'll come back to that in just a second. Let me try to tick off some of these things I have on my notes. I'm trying, like I say, I had to change this at the last point minute, so I'm, I'm ticking off things here and trying to keep this in balance. A redeemer is charged with the duty of restoring that person's rights and avenging wrongs done unto him or her. In other words, the restoration of the rights of that person, what that person had lost. So this redeemer, the focus was on Ruth, not Naomi in the book of Ruth, right? This redeemer restored to Ruth the people that she had left behind. She became the grandmother of David. When she married Boaz, this abundance that came into her life, what's what we lose in this world, as he told Peter, you'll have houses and homes and all this, not only in the life to come, but in this life. So according to how we deal with it, and we start coming to an understanding, and I can't keep going on little rabbit trails. That's why I said 
preaching and teaching would go on forever. Couldn't you hear the word of God? That's why it says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Because those words become life. Those words are life to us. They're life-giving. Just like we're entertained by movies and stains on television or whatever. That's just an introduction of what's to come because of the mind, what it comprehends. But you won't have movie stars. You won't be sitting down watching mystery movies and all of these other things in the world to come. These are shadow of things to come. But you won't be seeing murders and killings or whatever because during that time the line, line will lay down with the lamb. So you won't be able to watch the Discovery Channel or some alligator and a crocodile or bear or some animals fighting because animals wouldn't fight one another. They wouldn't be carnivorous anymore. They only became carnivorous because of the fall. That's why it says creation waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. The diet that they eat then won't be the same diet they eat now. Animals wouldn't eat other animals. It says the lion would eat straw, didn't it? Yes. As the Redeemer of Israel, that is the church, is typed and shattered as Israel, God moves them from captivity on to something greater. We see where he's promising a greater life and to restore that which the canker worm, that which the caterpillar and all that had eaten in life. So that's what people do to you. That's why Job says he knows Redeemer living. He prayed for his, his friends to be restored or whatever because that which your parents, that which your children, that which your spouse, that which your people did to you, God repays them every wrong that's done unto you. That's why as children of God we learn the lesson that vengeance is his, he'll repay. See, it's God's duty to find out who killed this young lady down at the railroad track. What's done in the dark will come to the light. You're not getting off with anything. Every sin and transgression will receive its just recompense of reward. The injustice of the lawyers that come up and say, well, let's persecute the people that gave these people drink, the unaged people drink or whatever. Well, you're taking the focus off that these young men raped this woman and helped cause her death. Doesn't the avenger, if, if she's a child of God, I've seen her people going to church the other day, going to the funeral or whatever. Don't they deserve justice to be carried out? That's what the avenger of blood. That's why when we see what's going on in the world, as children of God, we start to see God. That's why we understand why he told us to turn the other cheek, because we're not allowed to take vengeance out on someone else. We're not allowed. We're not the avenger of blood. Christ is the avenger of blood. You know, don't you feel sorry for the parents Sometimes, say like some of those police officers who had reared them to be good children, but they do some hyenious thing like this. How about the parents of the ch of the children that did this thing? So a lot of times we the, it marks the parents of what the children did, but God has a way in His coming kingdom where that's not reckoned that way. It says 
uh, in Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, second through the third verse, in Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, the 27th through the 31st verse, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of men. That's what I say. Hopefully God had add on. I'm hanging on that promises that one day people are flowing to the house of the mountain of God. In other words, unto God's house, they'll rebuild the ruins of David, the tabernacles, the falling down our sons and daughters. They'll come to us without their little ones in their hands. They'll come in a unity. God promises this as that promises to Israel in the Old Testament, that promises to church, to the church, because He's that light unto the Gentiles. He's that manifestation that we're looking for. This is that Redeemer where all these things was promised. And as we come to understand his word, we said all these promises in his word. He's our hope. Jesus is our hope. It says, and with the seed of beast. In other words, those animals, those that was killed or destroyed or whatever because all life is precious except that Man and beast are the same. What's the difference there except that we're in the image and likeness? There's a difference there, but there will be animals. You remember the animals in the kingdom of God, yes. in the garden of Eden. It says, and it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. That's what he was doing, and that's what he has to do that's what justice is. When justice, thy will, thy kingdom come. That he's recompensing this in the earth. That's the road that the redeemer is. That redeemer has to be strong. That redeemer has to be able to redeem. In the in Christianity, the, the title Goel is applied to Christ, who redeems humanity from all evil by offering Himself as the Paschal Lamb's. So he, all I was seeing was laid up on him. If he's our redeemer, they was making accusations against Job in which Job was just like everybody else. He had sinned and did wrong just like David has did these and God put a consequences of David's sin on him. But he says, I've forgiven this sin. I've put your sin away with Bathsheba. But in this same reckoning, he says now, because you did this thing, David, to swore to never leave your house, that you have to go through a furnace of affliction. So we see that everything that's going on is because God, our Redeemer, has been working. The Spirit do it yet work. It's been working ever since the beginning, and it works now. In that Spirit, we see what he says, God had sent me. The Lord God and the Spirit had sent me. We know that when he came, he was our Redeemer. But he died and went back. He was rose and resurrected with all power. He says, I'm going to send a comforter unto you. He's going to dwell in you. So that work is done by the Spirit regenerating mankind. Making us anew. That restoration is being carried out by the Spirit. But we see that just like Job realized and knew... This is line upon line, precept upon precept. We start understanding each and every part of the Bible and we see how this puzzle is put together. We understand we can't leave any of it out. He says, just as I watched over them for bad and did these things, because remember Jeremiah, he gave him that authority. He says, I'm going to give you a hammer. 
to build up and to tear down. So sometimes that preacher has to tear down somebody else's religion. We were trying to figure out about a religious group or whatever, and I was trying to think, Amish, and then you said something about the Mormons. That's, oh, no, that's a cult. Huh? Because that's based on a man, Joseph Smith, some scriptures or something that they found somewhere, and Mormonism has... Multiple wives. It turns something like some parts of Christianity and Islam with the Muslims has turned. But you remember, I said there's a remnant of God in all of these things. God tells them because He's talking about the churches in Revelation. In five of those churches, He promised if they didn't repent or change their ways, He was going to come and fight against them. Yes. Let me get off that rabbit trail there, though. He says, I have so will I watch over them to build them. He'll watch over us to build them, to plant us, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on the edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. In other words, the sins of the iniquity of the fathers won't be passed on to the children. You can't eat. Each person shall live by his own faith. Yes. Each person, you see, Ezekiel, your own righteousness. But that righteousness is the righteousness that Christ Jesus gives us. We must be in Christ, right? right. But this righteousness, we have to develop and walk in this righteousness because with this redeemer this restoration in the book of Psalms it says he restoreth my soul how does he restore your soul he leads me in paths of righteousness isn't that the way Cyrus came as a righteous king yes. that righteousness is not our own right our own righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ our righteousness is a filter rag we must have his righteousness imputed unto us. But as that righteousness is imputed unto us, as we're given that righteousness, that's why he laid down his life, so that his blood could be that covering where we could come before the throne of grace and petition the Father in Jesus' name. Yes. Because we're covering. God doesn't see us. He sees his Son. That's why we're being made in his image and his likeness. We're, the, we're part of that brother. And as I said, that promise came, that Redeemer in the Garden of Eden, immediate response to the sin of Adam and Eve. Before he announced judgment against him is to make a promise that a Redeemer will come and defeat the serpent. But he also pulled them out of the garden and told them, unless they eat of the tree of good and evil, that they would live forever in that state sweet, throw them out of the garden so they wouldn't partake of it. But we see where the restoration is back in the book of Revelations when he opens up this garden to where they could eat of the tree of life that had all of these different leaves and that they would eat in this river that's flowing in this restoration of mankind where the spirit in the bride says, come in. The promise to Israel is the promise to the as the church. We accept this promises this promise by faith because we are our father Abraham, the father of faith. The Gentiles, as he told Israel, he says, 
he hadn't seen no greater faith in all of Israel. Because why? We're saved by the grace of God. Noah was saved by grace, but by grace through faith. So by the grace of God, we hear it, the word. We hear the word preached. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we must hear the word of God. That's why we go around preaching and teaching the word of God, speaking the word of God. Those words are life. The power of life and death is in his word. That's why I said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of them. That's what gives us life. That's what energizes us, the word of God. In Psalms 110 and 1, Yahweh says to the Messiah, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in verses 5 and 6, God describes how he will achieve this. He says he will shatter kings, he will judge the nations, he will shatter chiefs, literally the heads of families. He will Everything that's in the, the spirit is doing this work. Not by might, not by power, but by spirit. Do we see the spirit working? So that's what we're looking for, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the manifestation of that spirit at work. When God says that he will shatter the head over the wide earth, he's alluding to the Genesis 3.15 where God himself had promised that the head of the serpent would be crushed. To put it plainly, the Messiah in 1.10 will undo the curse of Genesis 3. He'll redo the, reverse the curse where we'll be restored back to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. Remember I told you it's not just forgiving or forgetting, but it's reconciliation, putting us back where we can talk with God and walk with God, uprightness, that we don't hide from God, that we back obeying God's command. He writes those commandments and laws upon our heart. The promise is later reiterated by the Apostle Paul in a combined reading of Genesis 3.15 and Psalms 110 to encourage the church that the final defeat of Satan is soon approaching. In Romans 16 and 20, Paul writes, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Paul's first refers to the image of crushing the crushing the serpent, that is, Satan, from Genesis 3.15. He then refers to the image of this enemy being subjugated by God under the feet of the conqueror from Psalm 110. Significantly, Paul indicates that the church will also play a role in crushing the head of Satan because the feet that will crush Satan in Romans 16 and 20 are the feet of believers. We can have Satan under our feet. Ultimate defeat is in the hands of the saints because we're the body of Christ. And it's us that are working this. We have the power and authority in the word of God. All we have to do is speak the word. So that when he tells Peter that he gave him the power of binding and loosing, what's loose in heaven shall be loosed on earth. What's bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. 
So there's some power and authority in knowing God's word and putting it together and having faith and belief in Jesus Christ and this being revealed unto us. This is easy to say that Christ achieved his victory over Satan and on the cross and he will fulfill this defeat over Satan through his role as head of the church. In other words, Paul's encouragement is just that promise to curse to Satan and the serpent in Genesis and in Psalm 110. So God promises to curse Satan in Romans 16 and 20. In this last end time, I'm trying to hurry here. Uh, in the final defeat of Satan, that is the serpent from Genesis 3, is described in the book of Revelation. You remember I told you, you have to know the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Man, if you will live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. In Revelations 21 through 2, John describes how Satan is bound for 1,000 years. Then I saw angels coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. But after this temporary incarceration, God cast Satan into the eternal lake of fire, and the devil who deceived him was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night and forever. This is the glorious conclusion to the panoramic, of panorama of God's plan of redemption. It started in Genesis. It ends in Revelation. We know how the book ends. So when he starts showing it to us, we rely upon those promises. And we see that this is a finished work, but it's a process that goes through time that we are part of. God wins. As you reflect on the story of Christ's death and the resurrection, remember that Jesus crushed the reign of Satan and Satan in your life so that he alone may reign. Yield your members unto righteousness for righteousness' sake. You are servant of whom you yield yourselves, obey your members to obey. So why obey Satan and look at things we shouldn't look at, do things we shouldn't do? yielding our members to lust, yielding our members and walking in ways that he had given us power and authority. And there's going to be an inward struggle. The inner man's will struggle against the old man, but we must crucify and put to death. He's given us that authority, and it comes through his word. It comes in faith in him. Sometimes there's prayer and fasting. Sometimes there's other ways, but we must learn of the schemes and the devices of Satan. So let me try to close this off in the time I have left, and i got a ways to go here. Revealing himself to his followers, he says he's going to reveal himself to us. And that's what I said, the revelation of the Redeemer. John, the 15th chapter. The 13th to the 17th verse. So herein, I'm going to read some scriptures to try to tie this in. Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. That's what he called Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God. He said, shall I not show Abraham what I'm about to do in Solomon and Gomorrah? So now he said, we are friends. 
if we do what he, what he says, if we continue in his word, if we abide in him. So this is conditional promises. And those in the church that are carnal, that hadn't been loose, that still walk in darkness, we have no fellowship with him when we walk in darkness. So if he's calling us friends, he says, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So we keep those commandments. They're written on our heart. There's a transformation that begins in our lives. And you remember he says he's going to reveal it to us and not to them. Because there was a parable of the sower that he spoke but he says it's not for them to know. When he got inside, he explained it to his disciples. John 14, chapter the 15 through the 21st. And it would behoove you to go back and read and study those chapters that I'm giving you out of your notes. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Yes. He and again goes to Trinity, huh? Just like in 48, 16, where he says... The Lord God had sent me and his Holy Spirit. We see here that he's praying to the Father. He says, and I will pray to Father. He said, give you another comforter. Hold on, not me. No, this spirit, this comforter is going to be in you and dwell in you. Because Moses learned that he couldn't go and do or do anything without the Lord. It, it, how can you build a house and the Lord's not the builder? Without me, he says, you can do nothing. Moses said, I won't go unless you send your, unless you go with me. He says, I'm going to send my presence. He was going to send the messenger of the covenant, the angel of the Lord with him. Yes. He says, I'll, I'll pray that you he give you a comfort, another comforter that he uh, may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The world can't receive this now. This is things because it's the spirit of truth. He said, because it seeth him not, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Yes. Here's that manifestation. Here's that spirit within them. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Hold on. you coming of the comforter. This other spirit is coming. They want him the same because it's, but it's the Godhead in unity. And we start understanding that you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. And the Spirit testified in his name. You know, that's why we see that he does nothing in his own name. It's in the name of Jesus. Yet a little while in the world seeth me no more. But you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. Uh oh, that manifestation is gone to the world. Satan, the God of this world, had blinded the eyes of those who believed not. But he says, We will see him. We will be given that light. He says, Walk in the light as you've been given that light. And at that day you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me. That I'm in my Father and you are in me and I in you. He that had my commandments and keepeth them, 
He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That's that manifestation we've been talking about. I'll love him and I'll manifest myself to See, this Son reveals the Father unto us. The Father reveals the Son, but it's through the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter. All we see in that manifestation, Judas said unto him, he's not talking about Judas Iscariot here. He's talking about the other Judas. He says, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? How are you to show yourself to us now, you remember I told you, it's a lot of people in the church that don't see God. See, God can manifest himself to whom he want to manifest, like on the Damascus Road. But others didn't hear what Paul was hearing and seeing. All they heard was gobbledygook. But Paul was clearly understanding, just like at that baptism of the Trinity, where we seen the Trinity, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom we are pleased. But some of the people said, did it thunder? They didn't hear clearly what was being said. Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he w- and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He's going to dwell and live with us. He that loveth me not keepeth not my saying, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which had sent me. I'm an ambassador. I'm sent by somebody. I'm speaking to what the Father had given me to speak. Yes. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Okay, he didn't name the Comforter. You remember he said he was going to send this Comforter. He says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. And we talked about that week before last, what he's doing for his name's sake. He saved us for his namesake. All this is for his namesake. Don't take use that name in vain. That name, that family name is very important. He says, He will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The whole creation takes part in this. It's freezing in parts of Maine and New Hampshire, right? Have you noticed the weather patterns and what's going on? Look in Revelation and you see that the earth helpeth the woman. You see that creation fights. He says, Romans 8, chapter 18 to the 25th verse says, For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the suffering of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. It's going to be revealed to us and in us. Only those that are walking in the light can see this. For even the whole creation, that is, all of nature, waits eagerly for the children, for the manifestation of the, the sons of God to be revealed. That's what creation is waiting for. That the leaves won't rust fall and die and decay. That creation is reverted back. That the world is changing back for this permanent manifestation of God. That all of creation is waiting for that. For the creation was subjected to frustration and fertility 
not willingly because of some intentional fault on the creation's part, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain interest into this garden of Eden, this new creation, this new world that he's created, a new world order. He says, into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been mourning together as in pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we too who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is a joyful indication of the blessings to come. That's why I say we only have an earnest of the inheritance. He gave us a taste of it. We don't have the fullness of this thing at the end when he delivers up the kingdom. That's why I say it's a process going on in us. It's a process going on in us. That redemption, that salvation. Even we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption and transformation of our body at the resurrection. That's what we're looking forward to, that new body. Man, this old body, the last two weeks I came, I hadn't been able to accomplish the things I wanted to accomplish. Whatever my daughter had called me the other morning to come get her and everything, and it was early, and all I had on my mind was deacon up, but I don't, man, I see you go through this every morning or whatever. I said, man, this is for the birds. And I used to love to get up very early in the morning, very early. I would disturb other people. People be saying, look, when you get up, don't turn on them lights and doing all this stuff. You ease out, go in the other room. I would put my stuff in the other room or whatever so I wouldn't wake up, <laughs> wake up or whatever because, man, I used to love to get up early and doing this thing. He raised up his prophets and his people early. For in this hope we were saved by faith. But hope, the object of which is seen, is not which is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it with patience and composure. So that's what I'm waiting for, the redemption of this body, the redemption of things. I'm looking and I'm seeing and trying to catch a vision of this other world. I know it's coming. As Job said, I know my Redeemer is living and he had redeemed me from the furnace of affliction. And all of these things are slowly being revealed. We're getting stronger and stronger and closer. And can't you say, as Job said, I know my Redeemer liveth. I know my Redeemer liveth. He's showing himself to me. He says, now, now, we have his word. Now, that Redeemer in the New Testament has his promises several times. I've showed you what he's saying. I'll show myself unto you. I'll let you see me. I'll manifest. That manifestation in the clouds. You remember the pillar of cloud that followed them by day? And the fire that followed them at night, this was a manifestation of, of God and that when the cloud came over the tabernacle, but we will have that manifestation in us and with us all the time. Heavenly Father.